0: Church Charlotte. Hello everyone and greetings today. Thank you for joining with us for this Wednesday evening time of Bible study together. Uh, Studying the word of the Lord is perhaps the richest thing that any of us can do to grow in our faith, grow in our understanding, and we very much want to apply the word of God to our hearts, to our lives. Uh, Something uh, truly profound happens in 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 feeding our spirit when we go to the word of the lord we are on lesson 4 of celebrate freedom a module where we focus biblically upon spiritual and emotional healing Spiritual and emotional healing. Uh, this is the fourth Wednesday night we have done this together. If you have missed the earlier ones, I really want to encourage you to go back and uh, watch them. You don't have to watch; you can you you can listen to them. Um, you know, there's various ways you can do that. But I, th- the goal of this this Bible study is not to try to impress anybody with what I my study or. Uh, my communication. its This is 100%, 100% an effort to help people in their real trials and their real life, not just to be churchy, not just to, in some way, kind of uh, talk about, you know, God's good and we're blessed and let's go eat. This is really where the rubber meets the road in our lives and so I am going to, I am going to get started in lesson number four. Our title here is Spiritual Order and the Pattern of Our Thoughts. Spiritual Order and the Pattern of Our Thoughts. Uh, You may remember that last week we uh, introduced that idea of the pattern of our thoughts, (laughs) really keyed to the difference between living a life of faith versus a life of the flesh. A life of the tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we talked a lot about uh, the feeling um, of living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil being basically this, we continually fight cynicism and criticism. Those are our, our overwhelming responses uh, first to ourselves, uh, then to our world, to the people around us, uh, even our family, our brothers and sisters in the local uh, church. All of you, if you want to if you want to follow God's plan, you need to be invested in a local church. Um, that overwhelming feeling of criticism and cynicism. Um, if you are religious, you probably have more criticism than cynicism. If you are less religious, you probably have more cynicism than criticism, at least when it comes to uh, the church and the body of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our subject is to continue in this idea of the pattern of our thoughts. Um, We battle in the Place of the skull, so to speak. Jesus is crucified in the place of the skull. Yes, it is an image and a symbol, but symbols matter. And so uh, let's dive into this. I want to start by reading. Thessalonians 5, this is 1 Thessalonians 5 in chapter number 23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body notice those three statements spirit, soul, and body. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ um, comes again. Now, what was it that Jesus told us that he had came, he, he had come for? What was there were several things that he stated as declarative statements, and to the sinner, to the Uh, unchurched person Um, you might say to that individual far from God you might say that he came to seek and save the lost Uh, it was not his intent that my relationship your relationship with him be a distant one it was his intent that we have fellowship together that's the importance of the image of uh, the Garden of Eden and so To the person far away, you can think of a declarative statement like to seek and save that which is lost. But what if you are uh, trying to follow closer? What if you are going to a church? What if you are striving to? Imperfectly, yes, but resiliently know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is another declarative statement that I think would be even better suited to you, And that is this. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus' words, I am come that you might have life and life abundantly. Notice this. If we were going to paraphrase that, if we were going to paraphrase that, we would have to say this, life as you are living, it is not the life God intended for you to have when he created you. I want you to notice that. Jesus is, not, is, Jesus is making a point here. I am come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So that leads us to a rather important question that we should ask. Is the life I'm living the life God intended for me to live. Is the life I'm living the life God intended me to live? So, how have you been doing lately? How have you managed your fear? How have you managed your doubt? How have you managed your obligations both toward things that matter and and toward things that don't matter? How have you regulated? Do you have a sense of joy or do you have a sense of cynicism? Do you have a sense of hope, or do you have a sense of criticism? How are you doing living the life that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you? For many religious people, some of them dear friends that I love, some of times me, the answer is no. We are not living an overcoming life of faith. We are not overcoming fear. We are wrestling with real pain Real setback, real sorrow. We are not living life and life more abundantly. We are coping with pain, loss, brokenness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't believe that's the will of God. Now, I don't mean that in a superior sense. I, I say it to myself. I don't believe that Christ paid our debt, so we would then go on to live as a person who's still in debt. I don't believe that Christ covered our sins and gave us his righteousness for us to go on and then live a despairing life of one who is without hope. So why, let's be honest, some of us have served God a long time and we still wrestle with this. We still wake up at night. We still wrestle with this. Why, and this is an important question, why is it so ridiculously hard to walk in victory and hope even when we're religious? Why is it hard? Now, I'll tell you why I think so. The reason why is because of the pattern of our thoughts, the reason why it's hard for us to walk continually in victory and in hope, is because of the broken, fallen, sinful, fearful, vain, prideful thoughts of our mind. That's why it's hard. That's why you can have uh, months of victory and then fall off, as it were, your, your, your place of victory. That's why you can do good, having overcoming over a uh, temptation or an addiction, uh, and then you fall off the wagon, as we like to say. Um, it's the pattern of our thoughts. The battle happens right here. Now I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures. Now I'm going to move quickly, but the goal of this is to not argue with you. I'm going to give you enough Bible to choke a camel. Okay. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, strongholds. How do you define strongholds? We demolish arguments and every pretent- pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The The battle is here. And when we fail and fall and fumble, it's the pattern of this world still working uh, in our mind. Those, this is Romans 8, those who live according to the flesh have their minds, they're living according to the flesh, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Uh, why are they struggling? Why are they wrestling? Why why, why can they not do better? They have their mindset set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the scripture, or with the spirit, rather, have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Are you noticing a theme here? I hope you are noticing a theme here. The third verse, this is also uh, Romans uh, chapter number eight. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. How about Romans 8? The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Are you noticing a theme here? Let me give you another scripture. Ephesians 4 You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. The attitude of your minds. And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. How about some more scripture? This is Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Second Corinthians 10 and five. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now that is a lot of, a lot of scriptures there. Um, and from those scriptures, I hope that you will begin to see the battle we fight is, um, we, a lot of times we blame the devil and we're not, it's not that that's wrong, it's just that's a slice of a larger pie. The battle we really fight is the, the pattern of our thoughts. So what is troubling you and how are you thinking about it? What is filling you with fear, and how are you thinking about it? What do you lust for? What temptation lies in wait for you? And how do you think about it? Do you think that temptation will make you whole? Do you think if you just could experience that transgression, it would make your life have meaning? What are you tempted by, and how are you thinking about it? About it. If you don't change the pattern of your thoughts, it won't matter if you go to church. Church will just be an entry on your schedule. Now, church will help you change the pattern of your thoughts, but I'm, I'm making a larger point here that is worth making. I can be religious and still have the pattern of this world. I can go through a routine of religion. I can have been a part of church for many, many years and still go through this, Um, problem where my pattern of thinking is of this world. So here's the big takeaway. If you're gonna take one thing away from this, uh, this is what I want you to take away. Religion and religious practices will not matter if the pattern of my thoughts is not changed by God. My habits, my religiosity will not matter if I'm not being renewed in my mind. And that's why I make the following statement. The hardest thing I believe that the Christian does is to live out the promises of God. I'm going to try to explain this as we go because a life of faith is to live as though what God has told you is true is literally, actually, and in the evidence of your senses true. Not just something you in some way... um, Lay claim to as label or even experience. It is to live your life as though these promises are literally true. That they are tact. It's it's almost like they're tactile in your life. You you live them, and this is why uh, the father of the faithful, Abraham himself, is shown living out a promise that God says is true, but has not yet come true. That is the tension, and that is, I believe, the hardest thing that the Christian does is to live out the promises of God. I feel fear, but God said he'll never leave me. Why can't I live out that promise? If I really could live out that promise, I wouldn't have that fear, do you see? The challenge, I feel sick, but God says he's my healer. Can I live as though I am healed and in the face of evidence from the doctor to live as though I'm healed? Now you're you starting to see the real difficulty that's involved here. Um, why is it so hard to live out the promises of God and why is that the standard shown to us in the life of Abraham as righteousness, as what enables us to be given God's righteousness, to live as though it were true when there's no evidence and that saying, or God saying, that's why I'm giving you my righteousness. Well, let's talk about some of the reasons why it's hard and some of the reasons why it's more than just hard. It's crazy hard. Number one, um, it's hard because we're emotional beings. Um, what we feel will always be more powerful in experience than what we know. That's why roller coasters are so popular. We know we're safe. A thousand engineers have worked it and worked it and worked it. We're safer in the roller coaster than we are driving our cars. We know it's safe. But our fear is a much stronger emotion than our knowledge, do you see? That is that is fundamental to understand and having sympathy for people who are trying to hold on to faith in spite of uh, the circumstances. So number one, we are emotional beings and what we feel is more a more powerful experience than what we know. Fear, rage, disappointment, these are all profoundly powerful experiences. What we know is something that we hold on to not an experience more powerful than knowledge. Uh, Secondly, we face hardship and difficulty. This makes it hard to hold to the promises of God. We go through hardship and difficulty, and our flesh wants to take it personally. If God loved you, hell says. If you were blessed, doubt says. But this is not, it's not just you. I want you to see this. It's not just you. This is the same battle that Abraham had to fight the same battle that Abraham had to fight. Next, we want things. This is why it's hard for us to live out the promises of God. We want things that are bad for us. Carnal hearts want carnal things. And this is why you'll see some of the errors in the life of the patriarchs. Carnal hearts want carnal things. And the gold standard of being a child of God is to live out the promises of God, to live out. You see, a promise of God isn't felt as an emotional experience. It's known as a spiritual and mental claim. And so it can never be as powerful an experience as your emotions I'm not talking about the presence of God. I'm talking about you facing terrible circumstances, fearful circumstances, and choosing a promise of God over the profound experiences of emotion that roar through you, or choosing the purity of God over the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. Carnal hearts want carnal things. Another reason why it's so hard for us To to live out the promises of God is we struggle to understand the long view. We are creatures of time. Um, Again, you'll see this in the life of Abraham and more in the life of the patriarchs. God said he's gonna do it, he isn't gonna do it. But not now. Can you live as though it's true when God still has you waiting? Can I live as though it's true, even when God makes me wait? and wait, and wait? Or is that all it takes for me to go from being a person, living out the promises of God, to a person ruled by emotions, fear, rage, impatient? Finally, and this is um, perhaps most important, we are used to having senses whereby we sense the world we are in and we are an expert at the senses of the body. We have five senses whereby we sense the world. But unless God gives us spiritual gifts, we have no senses to the realm of the spirit. I'm not, I'm not saying you cannot have a, a spiritual experience with God and feel God's presence. That is, that is the spirit within you. We'll talk more about this in just a moment. That is the spirit within you going vertically to connect with God. It's the way you are created. But spiritual senses are not given to us in the same sense that eyesight, hearing, tasting, feeling, do you see? Um, That's not the same thing. We, We fumble after God, the Apostle Paul says. We see through a glass darkly. We have the gift of the Word of God where we can choose as an act of faith to believe the promises of God, but we are so spoiled to the senses of our, of our body. Um, and since we don't have, literal senses for the spirit realm in the way we have literal senses for the flesh, um, it's hard to live as though the promises of God are true, to live those out. What we feel to be true is our emotions, our physical place, our context, we choose the promises of God. We don't feel the promises of God. I hope I hope you're following me on this. This is the challenge. And this is why the story of Abraham is fundamental to understanding how we know God, how we please God, how the pattern of our mind is changed by grabbing hold of the promises of God and saying, it seems like I'm the laughing stock of my generation, but I made up my mind, I was going to believe. And as they laugh, I believe. As they pass away, I'm still believing. As they die and I'm the only one left, I'm still believing. And then, when the critics have been buried, God brings about a work. Uh, this, is, this is so uh, difficult uh, for us to do because it is an unresolved tension within us. This living a life built upon promises of God that we hold in a higher place than we hold our fear, emotions our rage, emotions. Uh, we hold the promises of God higher than anything else. So how are you How are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? Are we in the fears of our life holding to the promises of God? What wakes you up at night? What fills you with fear? What from your past still has power over you? What hasn't healed? How are you thinking about it? Are you repeating, celebrating, singing the promises of God? Or are you experiencing those things emotionally? So here's what I want to say to you. Everything you need to overcome you need to experience through the promises of God not through the emotions of your past or your current brokenness you need to experience those events through the perspective the prism of the promises of God God said you are able God said you are an overcomer God said you get the idea i have to change the pattern of my thoughts because as long as i experience those things through my emotions i being led, not by the spirit, but I'm being led by the soul. I'm going to explain. God designed you with three distinctive parts of being, elements of being. Um, This is how we are created. Um, It is uh, a fulfillment in the image of God. And these three parts make up who we are. Three distinctive parts. Number one, we have are a spirit that must be redeemed. Number two, we are a soul that must be restored. And number three, we are a physical body that must be surrendered to God. A spirit that must be redeemed, a soul that must be restored, and a body that must be um. Uh, 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 surrendered so uh, here's the thing defining the body is easy I won't spend any time on that Um, you know what it is to have a body Um, you are not a body you are a soul what you have is a body (laughs) Um, and so uh, defining the body is easy defining the spirit and the soul is much more difficult so I'm going to very quickly give you an overview on this The soul is the uniqueness of who you are, the essence of you, your being, your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality, your memories, your intellect. That is who you have made yourself to be. That is the uniqueness of you. Your spirit is that innermost aspect that connects and communes with God. It's the part of humanity that was breathed into you by God. It is our spirit that allows us to worship, to pray, to have faith, and to experience God. And so, uh, let me say it this way. The spirit reaches out vertically. To relate to God. The soul operates horizontally in our actions with the world. Our souls are the centers of our personality. Our spirits, on the other hand, are our are centers of God connection. So to do soul work is psychological health. Spirit work is the pursuit of the holy within you. Does that make sense? Soul work is psychological health. We probably would call that emotional or psychological health spirit work is the pursuit of the holy that is to be spiritually whole or what we might would call um to be no longer riven broken shattered fragmented but to be actually whole it is well with my soul i am whole so in summary the soul is crucial Uh, to our living here on earth and living well here on earth but the spirit is what interfaces with eternal and spiritual realms so do you see your horizontal connections to others that's your personality that's who you are that's who you have made your soul is what you have made of the spirit God has given you does that make sense? your soul is who you have made of the spirit God has given you Body's easy. Soul, this is who we are, personality. Think horizontal, one to another. The uniqueness of you, the thoughts, your personality. Your spirit is the fact that you can sense God. You can sense his presence. He can touch you. Um, And so with that idea in mind, um, I want to uh, try to... Uh, make sense of this and try to bring it out in in a, in a very a very helpful way. Um. So when God begins working with you, let's call this the beginning where you repent of your sins. You might call this the beginning of your salvation, not the end of your salvation. The Lord has a long journey with you, but when you first repent of your sins, you confess Christ. You repent and confess, not my way, thy way. Do you see? That is the beginning of salvation. Now, it's going to lead you and guide you. That is going to be God's presence upon you. But there's more, you're gonna walk with him. In time, uh, you're going to identify with him, hopefully soon as possible. And more, God's going to give you the sign, the seal of his presence upon you by spiritual signs that follow. One of them is, is, is the gift of tongues. God is going to give those signs to you as an ongoing evidence of him working with you. But the beginning, the beginning is repentance. That's the beginning. And so at that moment, uh, when we repent of our sins and we begin to turn our heart toward God, the Lord begins to impart his covering to us. He begins to impart his righteousness to us. In other words, the work of Calvary begins. It doesn't end, it begins. And this is the journey image of following the Lord Jesus Christ. But justification from above is imparted to you. Are you complete? No. Are you sinless? No. Do you have a lot of learning to do? Yes. Is it okay? Absolutely. The Lord takes your hand and he begins to guide you. And from that moment, you begin to live as though you are justified or, uh, let me say it this way, as though you had never sinned. Should you still have a spirit of repentance? Yes. Should you still correct your heart? Yes. Should you still confess? Yes. But justification has begun its work Uh, work in you, and the Lord begins to transform you. I want you to see this. The Lord begins to transform you into his image. It doesn't happen immediately. The justification is applied because a process of healing, wholeness, salvation, calling, ministry, purpose, all that begins, do you see, Uh, When you uh, submit yourself to God, repent of your sins, and you turn your heart to God, is there more to come? Yes, absolutely. This image is all through the scripture. Once you see it, it's everywhere. You'd have to be hard-headed not to see it. It's everywhere. God desires for you to be transformed into his uh, image with ever increasing glory we must hear and be led this is uh second corinthians I think i have three there that's not right second corinthians uh, chapter 3 verse 16 through 18 nevertheless when one turns to the lord the veil is taken away what's happened they've turned to the lord the veil is taken away now the lord is a spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty but we all with unveiled face how are, how do we have an Unveiled face. The veil has been taken away. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, our being, notice present tense, not past tense, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Apostle Paul says you are being transformed. How long does this process take? As long as you are willing to submit yourself to God, He is working on you. He is investing in you. He is forgiving you. As long as you will live as though His promise is true. What is that promise? That you are now justified through Him. You still feel condemnation. You still feel doubt. You still struggle with fear. But his promise is now applied to you. And that promise, how you are standing, you are standing in in Christ's accomplishment. We become our soul, our want, what we want, what we think, the uh, patterns of our life, the strongest wooing, drawing. Uh, let's read Colossians 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nulling it to the cross, praise God. If we receive the Holy Spirit with us, that's the essence of God's presence in us, and we can begin a relationship with God as though we were innocent in the Garden of Eden, as though we were innocent. Sometimes our emotions feel the other, but like Abraham, how does knowing that we have been redeemed and in right standing with God change the way I see myself? You see, I work. I now have been justified just like Adam and Eve and never sinned through Christ's work. That changes my view of myself and that enables me to live differently motivated by what God has done for me, motivated by His love. I've been made justified through the cross Um, This is to be spirit-led. Forgiveness makes us alive in Jesus Christ. Knowing that we are alive in Jesus Christ, we now have the opportunity to live in that reality. We live in that promise. A promise is not experienced like emotions. A promise is chosen. A promise is not experienced like fear. A promise is chosen. How well are we doing choosing this promise? We turn away from fear, negative emotion, condemnation, even though those things are experienced and a promise is chosen. If we cannot do that, we are unable to be led by the Spirit because being led by the Spirit is to live out a promise as though it were literally true. Thus the patriarchs and the lessons of the patriarchs. One of the best examples of this, I think, has been used as long as preachers have been preaching in the 19th and 20th century for sure, is the example of tuning a dial to pick up a radio station. You can tune it differently, you'll hear different things. Uh, You can hear distortion, confusion, fear, uh, things of the flesh, lust of the flesh, or you can tune it to hear what the spirit is is saying to you. Uh, This is 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are a foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Why can't the world accept the things that come from God? I want you to get this. Please get this. Why can't they accept the things that come from God? Because those things are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. If they're not spiritually discerned, we are blind to them. So let me let me talk about uh, again the soul very quickly. Um, the soul is made up of the mind, the will, and our emotions. Our mind, which thinks and reasons, reasons. You can use that mind to turn toward God or to draw away from God. The will, you can use your will to draw toward God or away from God, and your emotions. You can use your emotions to draw close to God or uh, away from God. However, emotions, I deeply believe, are the loudest voice in our uh, world of voices. Our emotions are the loudest voice. If we do not learn how to turn that volume down, we'll have a very difficult time living a spirit-led life because we came into this world, we've lived it, we're in the habit of doing certain things, we have our emotions set on volume number 10 and we have the spirit set on about two. And that means we cannot follow the spirit with the same ease with which we follow our emotions. So ask yourself this question, are my thoughts, remember the pattern of my mind is what works against me, are my thoughts driven by emotions? So Uh, The body, we talked about. uh, The soul, that is the uniqueness of your personality, the uniqueness of you. I want to ask you this question. In terms of the body, um, we learn in um, Genesis 2 and 7 that God formed our bodies from the earth, and our body acts as a temporary house or shell that contains the spirit and the soul. Here's the problem, our bodies have appetites, both good and bad. The Bible says to take care of any sin that leads to our flesh, the Bible says to be careful, I should say, of any sin that leads to our flesh getting anything at once. Let's ask ourselves: how are we doing with the cravings of the flesh? We cannot, going to church is, (laughs) going to church helps us be spiritual. It is not a substitute for being spiritual. Having a Christian label helps us be spiritual. It's not a replacement for being spiritual. And so I appeal to all of you. I appeal to myself. I I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, um, to understand this, that there is in my life, there is that which pulls my flesh how am I doing on resisting it? How am I doing on my cravings? Um, how am I doing, um, in my, my soul? What am I, uh, feeding into my thoughts? What am I, uh, pushing into my, my, my personality, the books I read, the movies I watch? Um, all of that is a type of strength or food that is into the the, the, the three part nature of my creation, um, and it leads us to ask this very very important inco- important questions: um, How, uh, what, what am I strengthening in myself? Now, if my body is easily understood, has cravings and desires, both food, sexuality. And my soul has desires, vanity, exaltation, fame. And then there is the spirit that is the essence of God within me. So here's what I know. And I'm I'm, I'm ending up right now. We're going to pray. My flesh is very, very needy and demanding. It wants this. It wants that. It wants that. It wants this. Um, my soul is very demanding. I want to be the best. I want to have the best. I want to be celebrated. It's vanity, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Um, the lowest maintenance part of my nature is my spirit. Your spirit will never yell at you. Your spirit is quiet. It's like a. It's it's like a gentleman. Um, you have to take care of the spirit. How do you do that? You do that by the presence of God, by seeking after God in prayer, and by celebrating His nature, His word, His promises. This is what must be done in our lives, my brothers and my sisters. We must recognize that the spirit needs an amplifier and the body needs to learn how to hush and the soul needs to learn how to humble itself and the spirit has to be exalted. I want to live an overcoming life. I know you do too. Um, I want to have abundant life in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way I can do that is to turn away from the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the soul, pride, vanity. And I have to Take my spirit into the presence of God and say, we choose you. We stand upon the promises of God. We live as though these promises are true. To live that way, my brothers and sisters, is to eat from the tree of life. To live that way is to eat from the very, or to celebrate the very presence of God in your life. To serve the flesh to serve the soul, vanity, cravings, um, is very much to be trapped here on earth as a temporal creature. And that which you crave is death to the spirit. And that which you desire is death to the spirit. So how am I feeding my flesh? How am I feeding my vanity? If I will not find a way to fast, both literally food and also by turning away from the cravings of the flesh. I'm always gonna be a prisoner of that. That's why fasting in the Bible is just as important as prayer. I know we don't talk about it much. I know no one's excited to hear about it. It's just as important as prayer because it's fighting the same battle. It's muting the flesh, muting the flesh. It's muting vanity. Prayer mutes vanity prayer mutes the soul, it lets the spirit speak. So until we learn to live that way, um, church will be a help, but church will not be a replacement for an overcoming life. Um, Being religious will be a help, but it will not be a replacement for overcoming life. I have to mute the flesh. I have to mute the vanity within me. And I have to turn up the spirit, the craving for the things of God, the celebration of his nature, standing upon his promises. That's the path to abundant life. And that's what I want to choose. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your word. Uh, I I pray that I, 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 in this, manner of teaching, it would truly help somebody. Um, I pray that we would understand that the battle for spiritual victory is actually much closer to us than we think it is. And it's actually less mysterious than we think it is. It's every day right there, bringing down the vanities, controlling the flesh, choosing the promises of God, the ways of the Spirit, the worship that changes our hearts and lives. Oh God, we're praying Every believer, wherever they are, I pray that this this kind of teaching hits them right in the heart and they recognize that abundant life is a different way I choose to live, a different way I choose to see my past circumstances and pains and losses. It's a different way to progress, but it's available to me. It's, a, it's, it's right here. Lord Jesus, I pray that the teachings of the scripture that uh, showed us the pattern of thoughts that war against the kingdom of God, I pray that would be helpful to us. <laughs> I pray for my brothers and sisters who they they might have served you for many years, but they, even while serving you, have to admit they have to recognize, they have to perceive uh, that they still have to fight the battle of the mind. They still have to turn away from the pattern of the thoughts of this world. Oh Lord Jesus, I I pray that you would help us not just to get our thoughts right on Sunday and then go home and start watching a show or reading a book and our thoughts go right back to a carnal way of thinking. I pray that we would walk in newness of life, to live a spiritual life, renewed in our hope, filled with your promise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all. I've given you a lot to think about, I know. Uh, Again, if you haven't seen the first three lessons of Celebrating Freedom and what it means to experience and pursue spiritual and emotional, psychological wholeness, um, I encourage you to do that because we have work to do. I have work to do. Uh, But uh, overcoming life is possible. It is possible possible. Church can help you. Brothers and sisters can help you, but you have to fight the battle every day. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. We love you. God bless you. If you haven't visited with us at either of our campuses, um, you can go to the website, firstchurchclt.com. or um, c3i.cc. Um, that's just the Concord campus. Um, we have multiple services. We'd love to get to know you. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Uh, let's, let's follow the Spirit us live differently. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you'll help others find our free podcast, We'll be